Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 114, with Ali Rahman. Welcome to episode 114 of Makers of Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. I've been very fortunate and blessed to meet many amazing people on this podcast and through this platform and to help them tell their stories a little bit. Everyone, of course, has their own very interesting and unique journey, but perhaps the journey of today's guests is the most unique and inspiring thus far as it regards to this particular podcast. My guest for this episode is many things, a graphic designer, web designer, 3D artist, and entrepreneur. Born the son of a Lebanese mother and a Syrian father, this gentleman grew up in a war-torn country led by a dictator. He had no access to things like social media and YouTube and all of the things that we are very fortunate to have um, in our careers today. And to top it off, he didn't even speak English. Despite those circumstances, he still managed to persevere, teaching himself graphic design, web design, and more, eventually leading him to start a successful online business that builds digital assets all over the globe for companies like ESPN, Fox Sports, NBC Sports, and numerous professional and collegiate athletics organizations. His company has also developed a very loyal following and has a Hall of Fame community that he leverages to build his own company's brand on social media. I'm very happy to welcome to the show the founder, CEO, and creative director of SportsTemplates.net, Ali Ramoon. Welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me, man. Um, Super excited to get on this podcast. And, uh, you know, I think you kind of oversold me with this intro. So I'll try to live up to it during, during this, uh, this podcast. Oh, I, I have no doubt you will, man. Having, having heard your story before, um, we've obviously tried to make this happen for quite some time, had quite a few cancellations on my end. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those life things, three kids, a lot of work, this being a, a side hustle, kind of more of a hobby project. Uh, so I, I'm very thankful that, um, you, you, you have, you gave me some grace and some flexibility in being able to get this done. And, and I'm happy we're able to make this happen. Oh, absolutely, man. Really excited for this. And just want to mention that, like, I just remember it back in 2015, early 2016, I was just, uh, you know, working and listening to this podcast where you got people like Aaron Masick, uh, Brian Gundell, Surf, Surf Melendez, Chris Creamer, all these people, you know, and I would have never imagined that I'll, I'll come on the same podcast in a few years. So it's, it's already a blessing for me to just uh, be talking to you and be on this podcast. Yeah, man. Well, listen, like everything that you've done has been awesome and, and it's a great story of perseverance. And, and speaking of that, I would love to, to get into that. So if we may, I would love to kind of start at the beginning of your journey. Um, as I've mentioned, you, you, you kind of had to persevere through hardship and, and you discovered a passion and let that passion guide, guide your way. Uh, and you, and you seem to have like a never say no attitude attitude, at least in the beginning. Uh, can you discuss a little bit about your roots, uh, the, the country where you're from and your childhood to sort of set the stage for, for your story? Absolutely. Uh, so I grew up in the 90s in, uh, in Syria. Uh, 
which was uh, kind of like a country led by uh, the father of the current dictator, another dictator. And basically, like, uh, trying trying to do anything in a country where, like, uh, any sort of me- outside media is just uh, censored. Uh, the government needs to control everything. They need to control what you see on TV. Um, and even, like, satellite dishes to kind of, like, get uh, satellite TV wasn't even uh, available until, like, the early 2000s, which was when we, uh, which were when we got uh, internet access back then. And uh, I was fortunate that my father was one of the few people who got early access to internet back then. And I kind of, like, started going on the internet in the early 2000s, just trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, back then it was just... Uh, basically like going on, on Google and trying different terms and looking different stuff. Let me, uh, let me just ask you. So with the, with the internet situation, um, I mean the early two thousands, I think even to be honest with you, even in the United States was, was a pretty early time for the internet and understanding what was going on. I think my own parents, but, but this is based on their own, own decision-making did not have the internet early on because they essentially thought it was like all <laughs> credit card thieves and like, <laughs> you know, kind of bought into the fear <laughs> aspect of, of everything. But, you know, you, you ended up getting the internet in your country. How did you, how do you navigate around? Like, I mean, how do you really even understand what's going on? Were there, was, what was your school situation like? Did you, was there any type of educational process that, even allowed you to know like what Google was, right? Like as you kind of mentioned, Googling around things. Um, there wasn't really any resources for me to kind of like learn about the internet. It was just all uh, self research. And my dad kind of got this, uh, this kind of, uh, uh, th- there was this Arabic version of Google and uh, on it, I kind of discovered Google and I just stayed on it, even though my English was pretty basic back then uh, because uh in Syria, you only get to start learning uh, English when you're like 12 years old or something. So uh, back in the 90s, now I think they start earlier. Uh, so I, I kind of used whatever basic English uh, skills I had at the time uh, to just uh, Google different stuff. Back then, I was really obsessed with video games. So that was what I uh, I pretty much used the internet just to just uh, kind of find cheat codes for, for video games. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I think what was most of the people doing back in the early 2000s. Right, right. And um, stemming out of that, like uh, the first time I got exposed to uh, uh, sports in general, like American sports outside of soccer, was when I got uh, NBA Live 2006. Yeah. And it was it was just a whole different thing for me. I kind of like I knew basketball was a thing, but I never knew about the NBA. So the first time I saw that, it was just insane seeing all these uniforms and, and logos and different colors and the branding. And ever since I saw that, I was just hooked, and I just wanted to be part of that. I just didn't know how. Uh, you know, it just it just seemed like a pipe dream back then, and it's like it's something that would never happen. Uh, and at that time, I wasn't even doing anything uh, digitally. I was just doing some drawings and doing different sketches. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, you know, the, the, the World Cup uh, in Germany in 2006 came around. And uh, I just, I remember like the first kind of transition from freeform drawing to something kind of more structured, like a logo, was me just trying to do like a, the Germany, recreate the Germany World Cup logo on paper. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like, amazing just doing something like that and i just wanted to do more and more uh which is when i learned about photoshop and uh there was also another uh, app called macromedia flash yep. which is a technology that's dead now very but familiar this is kind of, yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. So this is where Those I kind of started. Those are some of the coolest websites ever, man. I mean, uh, nowadays it feels like a lot of websites don't have any character. Those were extremely hard to use, but very cool, right? <laughs> exactly. You would just go on a website and they start playing some song or something. Like you never know what's yeah. going on. It's just <laughs> there were always intros. You had to wait through intros, right? Exactly. Exactly. So uh, these flash websites actually were what some of the first stuff I started doing because the, uh, these are more, like uh, online. I could only find tutorials on this subject. There wasn't as much uh, content as we have right now with all this, uh, you know, like you can go on Gumroad and go on, on Skillshare, all these websites and learn mm. pretty much anything you want to do. Uh, so back then, I just learned what was available, what, what I could download over my uh, dial-up internet, which would probably take days for me like to download some sort of a, a video tutorial or even like PDF or like a book tutorial type thing. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's but it's, it's interesting to me that even though you grew up in a vastly different situation than, than myself and many of the guests I've had on the show, that everyone still kind of has a very sort of basic beginning into this design world of sports in that they were following sport. They tried to draw the logos of a particular team. They got into jerseys and tried to, you know, draw those types of things. So it's, it's almost like um, there's this inherent uh, human need to create and to kind of like, especially when you're learning, recreate these things that you see. Absolutely. I, I mean, back then, I was do I was playing uh, video games, for example. And that was a lot of fun, but the fun I got out of creating something was just something on a whole different level. Uh, even at a young age, I was I, like uh, so, something like that. Just was a lot more fascinating and fulfilling. Not to take not to take away from video games. I, I still play video games till today. Right. Uh, but just being able to kind of create something that that was that was just uh, something something I couldn't uh, like. I, I just wanted more and more of that, and I kind of like. Uh, mixed both walls together and when i started doing some sort of uh uh you remember how everyone did their own like um like kind of imported their own 3d models and textures into video games like Grand Theft Auto or something like yeah. that mm -hmm. uh that would be something i'm gonna spend a couple of years just playing around with and it it, it kind of helped me uh learn photoshop and and start get a head start in, in 3d yeah. early on in, in in 2005 2006 something like that mm -hmm. so how how old were you during this during this time period, like back in 05. I was actually graduating college in 05. Wow. So in 05, I think I was uh, 16, 17 years old. Uh, but this whole thing started when I was like around 12, 13. And with, with, with the drawing and the, the basic, you know, basic drawing stuff. Mm -hmm. But then I moved on to digital around 15. Did you... Were there any artists or did you have like any type of way to learn about you know, like what digital artists you follow or was there like a fine art perspective of learning about, you know, say people like Michelangelo or some of these like world famous artists in, back in art history? Back then I had no kind of reference apart from just going on a website called DeviantArt. Mm -hmm. And then I would, on that website, I would find a lot of creative uh, uh, people on there, photographers, designers, uh, all, all kinds of, you know, visual arts. Uh, I would see there, I would just uh, try to mimic and, and recreate. Uh, but I didn't have any academic background in terms of art and design stuff like early on. Yeah. And uh, so just kind of looking at these people and le learning what they do, uh, learning, trying to figure out how they did a specific thing uh, was just the way I kind of taught myself. Mm-hmm. How were 
what were some of like the hardships that you had to deal with as far as like, I feel like I remember you discussing something about a, having to power your internet or something with a, with a car battery or oh, yeah. <laughs> like all, all of these types yeah. of things. That was, that was later on in 2011. This is after I was, after I started kind of like uh, working in, in, uh, working online and I got a few clients and then the war hit in 2011 mm-hmm. in Syria and it was uh, it just changed everything you know the, the situation wasn't wasn't great but it wasn't uh, really crappy either so it was kind of like enough to kind of sustain the the minimum for you to continue working online but then after the war hit you'd have you start having these like four hour outages every two uh, Every two hours, you get a four-hour outage of mm-hmm. uh, electricity, and this was just something like you know, I'm, I'm working with a client in the U.S. and like no one would understand what that even means. You know, they would just think that you're just making up some lame excuse to not deliver on time. Yeah. So for me, I, I had to kind of innovate, and I figured out that uh, I can power my computer with, uh, using a truck battery. So. I would get this truck battery and put it on the balcony. Then I, then I hooked it up to my uh, computer to kind of just provide power. And I would charge it when I have uh, regular power, uh, regular electricity. And then when electricity goes out, it automatically switches to the battery. And uh, this is how I kind of did work up, you know, until I left Syria in 2014. It was just trying to kind of like rely on, on, on some makeshift solution to just stay connected in life. Yeah. Wow, man, that's that's insane to think about, and yeah. just like the the aspect of how we, I think a lot of us listening to the show may have something in our own daily journey where we feel like something is hard and like oh, learning this thing, but all we have to do is sit down and get on the internet and learn it. We don't have to. Many of us don't have to deal with those types of things where you have to like power your your computer with a truck battery, which I can only imagine seems to be uh, potentially a very dangerous. <laughs> thing as it, <laughs> it is, as it is. I mean, look, when, when thinking thinking back uh, on that now i feel i it kind of sounds like i was just kind of just trying to distract myself uh from like what was going on in the country because at the same time i was doing this you know isis was happening like it yeah. was happening in a city nearby and you know trying to kind of deal with that reality it just felt kind of like i i'd rather just escape into working on, uh, you know, building my online business and trying to figure things out online rather than just, you know, be consuming this, this news every day and just being a living in fear. Yeah. Wow, man. I, like, I can't even, I can't even fathom what that would be like having to sort of coexist in a, in a world where, where that's happening, but at the same time, literally building a business online. Like that's what, as far as like building a business was concerned, I mean, how were you getting clients in the, those types of things? Getting clients actually wasn't wasn't a, a big issue for me uh, because I, I would whenever I would do anything I would just post it everywhere. Uh, so early on I would just post stuff on DeviantArt, and uh, as soon as um, you know the website Behance and Dribble came around, uh, I I was able to get on on these websites pretty quick, and I would just start sharing everything I'm doing. Uh, the thing is. You know, I read this book called Sh- uh, "Show Your Work," yep. and it's it's it just it just uh, it's it just basically what helped me kind of like get get all that work and all get all these clients without actually pursuing uh, pursuing them. 
and just sharing everything I'm working on. I would just, you know, share even the, the, the smallest details or whatever. I do something cool. I work on a project. I'll just take, I'll just take a snapshot and just uh, a snapshot and I would just put it on uh, Jiggle or do it on, or, or put like a project on Behance. Right. And people would see that and they would just uh, reach out, reach out to you. But the main thing that kind of like changed uh, this for me was actually doing uh, projects in, in an, in, in an industry that I want to be in, which what kind of led me into sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was during that time, I was just doing templates on graphic river. Uh, I was just doing nightlife stuff, you know, like, you know, uh, clubbing flyers oh, and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, it was like pretty big in, you know, 2012, 2013, 14. Uh, but it wasn't something I'm passionate about. I think I've only, I've only been to a club like twice my whole life. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just trying to, you know, and just expecting what a, what a, what a, what the club crowd would like. Yeah, to yeah. You were just trying to do what yeah. you thought people would would pay for. Exactly, and I was just basically doing it to kind of survive. Which is kind of an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial mentality already. Exactly. So, you know, doing doing that, I was just trying to kind of like uh, I kind of taught myself. Uh, more Photoshop skills as they did. I think I did like a hundred different uh, flyers posting on that website. And then one day I just decided to do a football helmet uh, flyer. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't expecting anything. It was like a, you know, a sharp change from like what, what what's my usual content. Right. And I posted it. And I think in a couple of months, it just became my bestseller because there was nothing like it back then on the internet. So was this an actual like 3D image? Um, yeah, okay. I, I built a 3D model and I kind of tried to figure out how to take a 3D model and make a render and then take it into Photoshop and make a, a Photoshop mock-up, mock-up mm-hmm. out of it. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a lot, you know, maybe maybe there was a couple of uh, helmet mock-ups that are based on images, but nothing like a 3D render where you have like super reflections and shadows and stuff like that. So it was a pretty kind of new type of mock-up back in the day. And it just ch- changed how... Uh, kind of, I saw what I'm doing and I realized that maybe I should just, you know, follow my passion and do something that I'm really passionate about and not worry about creating, you know, like just making money uh, at at that moment and just trying to enjoy what I do. And then like people and, and revenue is going to come later. Yeah. And this, this was kind of like the, the planted a seed in my head. Like, you know, I need to own my own business everything I'm putting on that website is, is theirs. I don't get to get emails from people who buy my stuff. I can't connect with them. It was just a, like creating a wall between me and people who are buying the templates. So I would never know who buys it and how they use it. Uh, so the, the thing is I had that idea for two, three years and I was too afraid to act on it. Yeah. You know, I was like, I've never, I, I don't even know how to start a website, like uh, e-commerce. What is that? You know, like th- I, I would just come up with all kinds of ex- excuses for me to not do it. And then uh, after, I think in 20, 2015, I just got the, like, I just decided that I'm going to just go, go ahead and do it. And it was, you know, it, it was just something I'm going to do. And I had no expectations for it, but I just did it because I felt like I need to do it. And, um, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> like, uh, I was never expecting uh, a side project like Sports Temples to take off and have like, you know, NBA teams and, and most of the major leagues uh, teams using, using these templates. I was never expecting anything like that, just starting, starting a side project like, like Sports Templates. Yeah. Uh, 
It's crazy how these things sort of just like happen. And, and, I, and I definitely want to kind of get into that. But prior to that, I mean, were you, did you have jobs? Like, did you go to college? Like, were, what, what, was, what was your life like prior to that as far as like preparing you for what eventually would become sports templates? I mean, was it all freelance clients at the time or did you ever actually go work for someone else? All right. So starting off with college, I, uh, I was a pretty bad student. I failed. Uh, in Syria, we call it baccalaureate, but I think in, you know, like high school, I think the last year of high school, I failed it three times. Uh, <laughs> I just get it, couldn't, couldn't like, you know, the third, the third year was, was the year I was able to get it. And, uh, because the thing is, was it because you were so focused on creativity, you just didn't want to like <laughs> learn anything else? Or, or I mean, because I had a similar thing and I, I was a very good high school student um, and elementary, you know, elementary through middle school, high school in, in the US. Um, but when I went to college, I was just like, all I want to do is this art stuff and I have no desire to go to any of the other classes at all. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was partially that. And the other part was just, I, I was at an age where I kind of like start realizing what I'm actually studying. And there was a lot of propaganda in, in, in the edu- in, mm. in that curriculum. Yeah. There was a lot of like praising the, the, the leader and stuff like that. Oh, and I okay. couldn't yeah. myself to kind of like, you know, study and, and take, take any of this seriously. At the same time, I was just getting clients from like U.S. and Europe, you know, and, and kind of like seeing that I, uh, I, I have a lot more value than what whatever this educational systems trying to instill in me. Right. And it was just the, kind of that, the, the, you know, internal battle was like, I, I really don't care about this, but I feel like I need to graduate at least high school for me to go to college or do something like bigger things in life. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got to, got myself to, to uh, pass it on the third year. And the thing is in Syria, there's a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of laws that kind of prevents you from getting any, like whatever you want to study. Uh, but first of all, there's no graphic design school there. So, you know, that, that, that wasn't even an option. So the only, the only option I was able to get was uh, English literature. And it was because my English, uh, my, my English resource were like my English uh, grades were really good. Uh, I signed up and I think I went to college maybe like one week and I stopped. Yeah. I just, I just didn't want, because it wasn't something I'm interested in. Right. Right. It was, right. Like, you know, um, looking back now, I wish I had access to like a proper, uh, graphic design school where I kind of learned the basics and fundamentals of it. But, you know, I had to deal with what I, what was, you know, the, the cards that were dealt at the time. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I've actually discussed this before on here. I mean, I, I went to school for graphic design, but I, I have shifted all of my thinking into, I don't actually necessarily know. This is controversial opinion still in the, in the, over here in the U S but like, I don't actually believe you need a college degree for most things. Um, it's gotten to the point where you can teach yourself online. And then also if you, I actually believe almost more in, um, in like mentorship and apprenticeship. Like if you can find someone that is very good at what they do, that, that is kind of in your, in your, uh, creative realm or your professional realm, if you can study underneath those people, which is kind of like how it used to be, right? Many, many hundreds of years ago and and that type of thing, that was how it seemed like people learned was to apprentice under people, whether it was like, you know, Leonardo da Vinci or, or, or whatever, um, in in the creative world. So I think that it's a, it's obviously a great time. We kind of hit, you obviously had a very, um, tough, uh, situation, but I think once you found the internet, it does seem like that 
and, and, and your story even maybe even makes this uh, even more true is that the internet is almost like this great equalizer, right? Where exactly you can be very wealthy, you can be very poor, you can be in a war-torn country, you can be in a country where nothing is going on. And it's all about like how you what your sort of like initiative and drive is and do you, and almost like learning how to learn, right? Cause like, um, you went and just taught yourself, you know, and, and it was like, you found this passion, you kept learning. And, and so I'm curious, like to hear your thoughts on that. Like how, how does one, like, how did you learn? What best ways did you learn? Like, how did you, you know, from a tutorial perspective, cause we think about like 3d, right? Like I look at, I love looking at 3d, um, uh, you know, for example, last night, and this is this is not necessarily ever doesn't necessarily make this podcast very evergreen. But last night, um, ESPN um, hosted uh, hockey for the first time in like 17 years, and they used a company called Elastic, which built all of the Game of Thrones opening credits and all these things. Big big sports and entertainment company, as far as like the motion world. And I absolutely love looking at that stuff. But when I look at that it seems like it's completely unachievable almost to the point where I have like this paralysis by analysis thing where I'm like, I, I won't even start because it just seems like I'll, you'll never get there. Right. And there's probably hundreds of people working on that. Right. But so from your perspective, how did you go from like sort of point A to point B in regards to that from like the 3d world, as far as learning and teaching yourself? All right. So it, it all started for me in 2006, 2007. Uh, there was uh, this app called 3d max and um, I kind of st- it, it kind of happened to me because I was just hoarding software. There was no like uh, like grand plan that I had. It's like you know now it's you know I'm, I'm positioning myself to kind of move into 3D because this is what the market needs. It was just basically just kind of trying to hoard all these software and learning more so I can put more on my resume. That was all I was trying to do back then. So I found I found out about 3D Max and. I think the, 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 the things that I wasn't expecting anything. So the, the first tutorial I learned was basically just building a table. It was just a table with four legs. It's the most basic 3D model you can build. And it took me like an hour to do it because if you open 3D Max, it's the, the, the UI itself is pretty intimidating. Still is. It, does, it doesn't look too different than like uh, years ago. But it just felt so incredible when I built that, you know, super basic 3D model. And I couldn't stop uh, since then. I kind of looked online and I found I found this tutorial kind of teaching you how to model this uh, Mustang car, like a muscle car. And it was just, like you said, it was just unachievable, unachievable. I was like, there's no way, even if I watched this video, there's no way I could get any anywhere like near that. And I downloaded that tutorial and started following it. It, t- it took me a couple of weeks. And I was surprised that by the end of it, I just did, I think like a 90% replica of, of whatever the artist did in that video. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Uh, at the end of it, I was just a lot more comfortable with the app. And it, it just felt like second nature to me. And it's, it's honestly where, where I feel I have the most creative freedom. Because in 3D, you can pretty much create anything. You can just create stuff from scratch. While in Photoshop, you know, unless unless you're really skilled, uh, uh, you know, someone who can sketch and I can do 2D rendering really well, you really have to kind of rely on f- photographs or, uh, you know, text and all these things to kind of like make your work look nice. While in 3D, you can actually create these 3D illustrations. You can create these 3D, 3D models, uh, do all kinds of uh 
simulations, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I learned about simulating water and fire and dust and stuff like yeah. that. It's just stuff that, that, that you, I would never be able to do in a, in a 2D app. Are you familiar with the work of Ash Thorpe? Um, I'm not familiar with, uh, with this work. Okay. Um, so Ash Thorpe yeah. is, is this guy. He's a, um, a 3d artist, a uh, visual artist, designer, does a lot of work in, um, in, uh, if you go to Instagram.com, let's see, this is, uh, Ash. This is like great, 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 great radio right here for everyone listening. But <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. I already, I already found him. Yeah, yeah. But you see how he makes these cars. He's got like this whole yeah. car thing going on right now, which is really cool. Like he does a lot of really cool work. Um, but that what you said about how you can create something from nothing, like that. This is what flagged that for me because it's like he's doing these things that probably maybe don't even work in the real world, right? But like it looks yeah. super yeah. super cool. Um, you know this motorcycle or whatever, and and so to me that's what's really cool about 3D. And also think it's it's interesting how like I have this Tinker Hat filled toy that mm-hmm. I got from this artist named. Uh, uh, I think it's, is it Daniel Ladd maybe or Design Ladd or something? Uh, I, I can't remember exactly who who did this, um, mm-hmm. but you know, like that was created in 3D first, and then it was essentially 3D printed. So I think I think the being able to make something from scratch that does, didn't exist in the world, but also have the potential to make that become an actual physical item is is very appealing. Absolutely. It's, it's just the, the amount of power you have knowing, knowing how to do 3D models is just insane. And also like to add to that, now we're moving in a world, like moving into a world where VR is going to be really like in the front center of, of like, of how we consume media, I think in the next 10 years. So, right. and you know, VR can never exist without 3D. So knowing that skill, I think it's, it's a really future proof uh, uh, skill to have if, if, if you're, if you're starting up and trying to figure out what you want to do, you might you might want to give 3D uh, a go, and now even if you don't want to, like if you can't afford these expensive software, Blender is for free, and it, it Blender is awesome. Uh, I wish I learned Blender because the amount of because it is free, kind of like created this community around it, and everyone's building uh, plugins and extensions for it, mm-hmm. and it's just a lot easier now than it what what it was like, you know, when it started like 40, 15 years ago. So if you were to start today and to share advice for people that wanted to get into 3D, would you advise them to begin with Blender or as opposed to uh, Cinema 4D? Uh, it, it really depends on it depends on what you want to do. Cinema 4D is really good if you want to do MoGraph stuff, you want to do animation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, these kind of like sizzle wheels and this kind of stuff. Uh, Cinema 4D still is the king at this stuff, you know, uh, uh, simulation and MoGraph. Uh, but if you want to do modeling and, uh, you know, all other kind of 3D stuff. Uh, you can you can pretty much do it on any other uh, 3D package. I use 3D Max. 3D Max is really kind of like the go-to app for games and architecture. None of which I do, but I can still use it for what for what I do. You know, you can you can always find a way. Uh, Maya is more for animation for mo- films and movies. Um, well, and kind of Blender is kind of like trying to be everything. ZBrush is more about. Uh, uh, being a, a 2D sculptor. And it's a lot more kind of organic uh, and human kind of 3D app compared to the other ones. It's not, it's not, as, uh, it's not as rigid, I guess. And it's, it's really good if you just want to do 3D modeling. It's, 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 it's awesome. I haven't learned ZBrush yet, but it's, it's on my list. I, I, I want to learn it in the future. Mm-hmm. 
So what are your what are your thoughts on tools as far as it seems like to me that all of these things uh, I was listening to someone recently. I don't recall exactly who said this, but essentially it was uh, there. People kind of develop this loyalty for, say, Photoshop, and especially in the sports design community, it's like, oh, Photoshop, Photoshop this, Photoshop that, and they they develop this love and passion of the software. But the thing is, it is something that is controlled by someone else, and eventually, like if like I, I sort of have this thing where, let's say, Adobe goes bankrupt, and it probably won't, and someone will acquire at least some of their assets if they if they do go in that direction yeah. but let's say photoshop photoshop just ceased to exist one day like how many designers exist anymore right if you put all your kind of like you know eggs in one basket so to speak as uh, or or can you just pick up any tool and use that tool and figure out how to use that tool um uh, what is your what is your kind of theory or or philosophy on on those types of things um Early on, I used to think that kind of the tool that you use really is is a big part of what you do. I don't I don't believe in that anymore. I think you know people are now creating you know this app called Procreate on the iPad. Yep. Mm-hmm. People, uh, I would go on TikTok and I would see people creating all kinds of two D art on it, and it's it's just beautiful. Uh, it's it's even stuff that really hard to do on Photoshop. You know, it's just a lot easier to do it on Procreate now, mm-hmm. and they just I think. Uh, on their new update, they just added 3D support now. Like they're just oh, kind of wow. going to 3D as well. Can you imagine doing all these 3D vendors on your iPad? Like it's it's you know the future. If if you're getting into this now, it's it, you know the future is gonna be really exciting. Oh, I actually believe that that is somewhat the future. Um, there was uh, I was listening to a, a podcast once with a a kid who was like 19, 18, something like that, and he was interning at Apple, and he was a product designer doing more like UI and those types of things. And he talked about how he designed in Figma on his iPad, you know, in the browser. And and he kind of had this whole mentality of, I like, he believes that the future is going to, like, you think about these big massive rigs that we all build and have these, like, multiple monitors and these types of things. Um, the, the accessibility of someone being able to have an iPad or, or doing these things on a phone is just much more massive than someone being able to have, like, a $10,000 Mac Pro, <laughs> Absolutely. you know, so so it's just it's fascinating to me to see the things that these people create on these tools that are um, maybe not as expensive as what some of these big studios and people are buying. Actually, I mean, if, if it feels like this is really part of your story, right? I mean, you kind of went through this um, in Syria and and probably using tools that weren't super expensive and um, kind of what you could get your hands on. And that type of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Back, you know, back then I couldn't, I couldn't have access to like uh, the latest graphics cards or, or, or processor, processors or, or anything like that. So I had to work with whatever was available. And just to kind of come back on your, on your point about like using different tools. Uh, so recently I started posting on TikTok and I would just shoot videos and like take screenshots and I put everything on Premiere Pro and it would take me like a couple hours to finish like editing a 15 second video because I just want to make sure like everything kind of like lines up with the music and stuff and then someone just told me that there's this app called CapCut on, on you can just download on your iPhone and I did the exact same amount of work on my phone in like 15 minutes. And wow. it's, it was like on the same <laughs> level. And, you know, like now you think like, why do we have this big rig with two monitors and like this fancy uh, uh, a processor and graphics card? I can just do everything on my iPhone now. So, yeah. you know, I feel like it, it just, it's not, it's not like you can do it on mobile now. You can actually do it faster and better. Right, right. 
Um, so let's go back into uh, a little bit of your your career. Some um, you were freelancing a ton. It appears uh, so you have plenty of clients, plenty of work. At some point, you leave Syria and you head to Romania next. Yes. So discuss a little bit of that aspect of things in your your career journey and maybe some of the hurdles you had to jump and and you know what types of things were you working on what what types of client work were you actually doing at that time because I know you were kind of dabbling in web design and UI UX and and all these various things very multidisciplinary kind of mentality yeah so back in 20, 2014 uh, I was able to connect with my, one of my old friends he used to be my English tutor back in the 90s and early 2000s and he's half Syrian half Romanian so he moved to Romania and we kind of like lost uh, contact and then I found him on deviant art like he just became a graphic designer while I also became a graphic designer. It, it was just an insane story you know so wow. I found him because he wrote his name in a specific way and I reached out to him and asked if he's actually that person. He confirmed that I, I couldn't believe it because, you know, when, when, when we stopped, when we kind of lost contact, none of us was into graphic design or anything like that. So right. seeing that we kind of both chose the same, like a similar career was, was, was just like unbelievable. And we were talking, I was telling him about how life is in Syria and how hard it is to get anything done with the war going on. And he helped me uh, get a get, get a, a visit visa to Romania mm-hmm. uh, to come over here. And after I came here, I applied as a refugee and I was accepted. Uh, so it was it was just something that I would never expect happening. You know, yeah. I was just working in Syria and with no plan. And you know, I didn't know what's going to happen in the future. So having this happen just changed how I kind of like perceive the future yeah and it gave me this this massive massive push just being able to get fast internet getting a paypal account you know that's these are things like because of sanctions in syria you can't get a pay you can't get paypal you can't get uh most of the online services don't work there mm-hmm. you know so being in a place where i can actually have access to all these services being on a more even uh, uh, level with with the rest of the world, it, it was you know an insane push for me to kind of work harder and 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 just kind of like create more. Yeah. So was it just was it just you, or did did you leave your family, or how, how did that whole situation? At the start, it was just me because that was the you know I was I was the only person who. Were, who was kind of like qualified to come here. Mm-hmm. So in, in order to come here, you need to show that you have enough, uh, you know, money in your bank account. You, you need to show that, you know, uh, uh, English and, you know, you have, you have some sort of an online presence. I had to kind of show them at the embassies, like, look, I'm going there to do business, to talk to my friend and kind of like visit. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, con- like a contribution to their economy kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. To kind of believe my story. So after I came here, I kind of worked, uh, almost nonstop. I just, like you said, I had a bunch of, I did a lot of freelance work and I was able to work with big clients. I was like Colgate. I did some work with, with Google. I was offered a job at Apple at one point, uh, wow. but I couldn't get it because of my refugee status, uh, which, you know, in hindsight sounds like I, it, it looks like a blessing for me because none of this would have happened. It was just, you know, and I'm not trying to act like, Oh, I'm, I'm above Apple. You know, yeah, back yeah, then I was yeah. just, you know, I was super sad that I lost that opportunity. Right. Um, so, uh, after a couple of years being here, I started my company, uh, and 
uh, I talked to a lawyer and they told me that I can do a family reunification. Uh, so I applied for that. And in six months, I was able to get uh, my family here, uh, my parents, my sister, my brother, and they're all living here in Romania now. They're all safe. And it wow. just, uh, it's, I'm, I, I, you know, just seeing that the war has been going for 11 years now. Mm-hmm. And I, I think most of the Syrians have lost someone in the war. Yeah, uh, I, I lost a couple cousins, and uh, you know it's it's just uh, it's insane uh, how how things are there. So being able to kind of like at least save my family, my immediate family, was something that I could I could never dream of. Yeah. So being able to do that, I just feel like you know really blessed for for for, for the opportunity to kind of be able to do that. Yeah. Well, and it's it's crazy how your your passion for design, in a way contributed massively to that right because if it if it wasn't for that i mean maybe you don't even get into romania or you don't even discover your your former english tutor right who you both kind of found your way back into design it or found your way into design at some point exactly yeah i mean i'm just uh you know being being able to do this and and to kind of like uh work on this career it just saved, saved saved me on so many levels and you know just be, be, being able to kind of come here and, and start a business and, and do all of that, I would have never been able to do that if I, if I just kind of didn't pick some sort of a, a career that's, that can work online. You know, not a lot of things back, back, like, you know, 15 years ago, not a lot of things can be done online. Maybe only like if you're a, a freelance writer or a designer right. or a programmer. But now, you know, a lot more you know, you you can you can pretty much like teach fitness courses online now. Oh, that yeah. wasn't you know that wasn't possible back then. Yeah. So you know, uh, I think it was kind of luck that I chose a career that can be done remotely and that can support me in in, in this in the in this journey. Yeah, absolutely. So does your uh, just checking out your sports template site and um, I kind of want to go into the founding of that, but but since we're on the family aspect of things now, does your brother work for you? He does. Yeah. That's really he cool, does. man. He does. He does animation. Also, my girlfriend does my uh, uh, customer service and uh, my sister helps me with the uh, Hall of Fame. So you've built a, you've built a family business, man. You know, like yeah, that's, it is. that's kind of, uh, you know, that's, that's the dream, right? Of, of being it able is. to do, do, do something like that. That's really cool. I was going to mention that I did hire uh, a 3D modeler. His name is Oleg. He's, he's really uh, doing a great job. He's been with me for, for over, over a year and a half now. And it just, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, be, being able to kind of, now I'm, I'm able to give other people a job. That's just, you know, I, I would have never expected that either. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, um, that is something that I have never experienced as someone that has kind of run my own thing. And, and I've really only done it uh, independently and work and collaborating with other freelancers and kind of from a contracting perspective, but to be able to have someone that is very consistent and bring them in, man, like that has got to be a, a pretty amazing feeling to be able to do that, especially from the situation that you came from. Absolutely. So at some point you're freelancing, right? And you're taking on a lot of business, but then you, and, and, you know, I understand that you're making some things for uh, graphic river and, and, and all of that, but then you decide to shift from doing client work to essentially making products, right? So can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, was there fear in that, in that, Hey, now I'm going to start putting something into the world that I'm hoping people will buy. And, but I have this skill set that people will hire me for as a, as a, uh, a consultant. Yeah. So starting out, there was a lot of fear kind of doing that, uh, 
that switch from you know offering services to offering a product and uh, I kind of set set to myself some sort of financial goals in terms of like if I want to keep going uh, with sports templates or it's just it just gonna always be a side project that I'm gonna just gonna dabble in every couple of months so for the first month I was like look if, if sports templates make a thousand dollars this month I'll probably put some more time into it. And I think I made $1,028. <laughs> so it was just yeah. on that, yeah. on that, you know, uh, uh, on that number, kind of like yeah. arbitrary, arbitrary number I kind of set for myself. Um, but I think what kind of helped me with that push at the start is that I picked one of my uh, templates, like the, you know, a template that I took a lot of time to kind of like uh, figure out, do a lot of R&D, which was a jersey texture close-up. So trying to kind of mimic a jersey texture, but really close to show the holes and different threads that's kind of going in and out. Uh, it, took me, it took me like a couple months to figure out this kind of texture. But once I did it, I just decided to give it out for free. And uh, this is something kind of like some sort of advice for anyone who's trying to, to sell a product is, you know, usually you go, to go, you go on a product uh, on a company that kind of sells some sort of product, and their freebie is always the low end version of whatever they're doing. So you don't really get to experience what it is that you're paying for, and you probably decide not to kind of purchase. Uh, so for me, it was it was the opposite, where I gave a really premium quality uh, template for free, and it kind of helped uh, sell people on on what I do because once you try something and and, and you you think like. If the free version is really good, what would I get if I get the paid one? Right. And this this kind of helped me get that push without doing any marketing or anything at the start. And this is when I started. Soon, this is when I started seeing this exponential growth uh, with sports templates. And I think in six months, I just decided I, I was doing that while maintaining my freelance job. And after six months seeing th- this growth, I decided that I'm just gonna do this full time now. And it was really hard for me to kind of like fire my, my ongoing clients to kind of focus on my own job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had to do it. And I, I, I had this thought that, you know, even if this doesn't work, I can still just start from, from scratch again and just build something again. So I, I wasn't that afraid because if I did it the first time, if, you know, if I was able to kind of get here from where I started in Syria, I, it's, it's going to be a lot easier to start again here. Oh yeah. Yeah. You've always, definitely you know? had that point had already overcome some significant challenges. So yeah. <laughs> anything, anything going forward probably did not seem like that steep of a, of a hill to climb. So to speak, so to speak. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, and when I started this, I just wanted to do stuff for regular designers, smaller designers who just want to kind of showcase their work, add some portfolio piece. I wasn't really, ha- I wasn't really planning anything big for sports templates. It was just this kind of site that people can, you know, if, if you need anything in the sports uh, design mock-up area, you can come here, uh, come on the website and, and get something that's going to help you with the project. Uh, but early on, I got, I got like NBA and NFL teams using it. And this kind of like gave me a whole different perspective on what I'm doing. And I just paying a lot more attention because you know when i was building these templates i was never expecting them to be to to get this kind of exposure and to be used by these uh, big companies and teams and knowing that this is what's happening now it just pushed me to even do more uh work and pay more attention you know quality control and and always improving on on what i do yeah no it's interesting because it's almost like a uh, there's this whole 
um, I don't know if you've heard this kind of analogy used before in, in the business world in the US where there's like, they call it, they consider it like a, a picks and shovels kind of business where back in the old days of the gold rush out West, like there were people that were going and, you know, trying to mine for gold or whatever. And then there were yeah. kind of these service businesses that went over there and was like, no, we're going to sell you the shovels. We're going to sh- sell you the picks, right? And so that's almost like kind of what you're doing, right? Because these these creatives that are putting out these marketing pieces, so to speak, I guess, out into the world, you know, whether it's f- through social media content or or through other other things, you're selling them assets that they can use and put into their work. And and really it's just, a, it's a showcase thing. It's almost like a, this, I don't want to dumb it down this much, but it's almost like a digital, a digital picture frame for these people to put their art on, right? Like in a way, because you're essentially creating this thing that they need and, but your thing actually isn't, in the end, your thing isn't actually the art. It's what they do with the thing that you that they purchase from you. Exactly. The, 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 this is it was such a unique kind of product because, like you said, it just I'm giving I'm giving people uh, basically who don't know how to use 3D uh, the the the, sh- the shiny 3D look that you know you you only can do when you when you've uh, when you're experienced with 3D temp, uh, 3D uh, software. Mm-hmm. And seeing what people can do with my templates has always been uh, super, super awesome. What, one of the stories was like this kid, 17-year-old from Seattle, uh, took my, my, my basketball jersey template and he started just doing his own versions of different NBA teams. And quickly he was picked up by ESPN. Uh, he did like something for the uh, Deadpool movie and he was featured on their like Instagram main page. Even I think Ryan Reynolds shared his design on his wow. personal page. And he just acted fast and he started printing these jerseys. They were kind of like, you know, they were on on the fringe of copyright infringement, but he was just, you know, trying to not copy it. Was just yeah. do something that kind of resembles the jerseys. And he just reached out to me re- recently and he said, like, he just made $100,000 last year oh, just wow. doing this. I, he's not even 18 yet. He's getting the money, I think, on his father's account or something. Wow. And <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, getting, you know, he told me that without the step that he would have never been able to get this kind of attention, you know, because if he just showed these uh, designs on a 2D a kind of like drawing or something like that. It might get noticed, but not a lot of people can see that it's it's actually a tangible jersey. A lot of people were were asking him to set like they want to buy it because they didn't they thought it's just an image. Right. They didn't think it just uh, like a, a Photoshop mockup. And seeing that these mockups are are, are actually like you know in in, in this one uh, situation has actually changed this kid's life, and he's he's just you know got over a hundred thousand followers now on on Instagram. It's goes doing great. I'm really happy for him. Yeah. Wow, that's and, that's crazy. That's a good success story right there. Yeah, exactly. And just you know, I always get these kind of stories. Not not as successful as Srelix. His name is at Srelix on uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whenever I get these kind of stories, it's always you know it reminds like it, it reminds me of uh, how I started and how like how I would have never thought that like, the, I would be able to kind of have this kind of impact on on you know because when I started, I, I didn't even have. Uh, like plans that I'm, I'm going to do something that's going to help people change their life. I was just trying to survive, but kind of doing that, you know, it kind of, it just happened as, as I went along. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's the beauty of, of starting all these things, right? Cause it's kind of the same way with this podcast in a way. Like I started this because I wanted to talk to interesting people and to learn from people. 
And I was like, well, I'll just record these and put these out into the world and maybe people will listen. Maybe only my mom will listen. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and and you get these emails or these messages from people that are like, man, I didn't even know this industry existed. Like I completely changed the course of my career, my journey to go focus on design and sports or creativity in sports and that type of thing. And so that's kind of what helps you help keeps you going in a way. Um, but I think that you also have to kind of tell those stories um, to that to help others. And, and I feel like that you're kind of doing that through your own content marketing. And, so, and one thing I've noticed is like, you know, you obviously set up the Hall of Fame, which we briefly mentioned earlier. Um, so if you could maybe touch on that and kind of how you're now almost building community and you're doing like these minimalist NBA, NBA logos and leveraging TikTok and, and all these types of things. So if you could touch on like content marketing and how important that is to your business and and kind of what that's doing for your own own community. Sure. So started starting out i was you know after after a couple of years of starting the website uh, i started kind of like learning more about ads digital ads and i was doing like facebook ads and you know a little bit of uh, google ads uh, but recently you know after the the update for uh, for uh, for apple the ios 14.5 you know facebook ads just stopped being what they are. I think that the start of this year. And it was around the time when TikTok was really taking off. You know, everyone is going on TikTok because of the, the uh, lockdown. And I kind of tried to switch my, my, my focus from ads, doing just ads, which, you know, if you get a Facebook ads, it's, it's intrusive. It's just trying to sell you something. Right. And maybe you're not in the mood to buy or like, you know, like this is not the time for it. And it just, you know, pushing something in your face. While doing content marketing for 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 uh, for TikTok, you know, I got this idea of like doing a minimalist version of NBA logos, mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of people hated it. I got a lot of hate for it because <laughs> people just love their teams, and yes, you know, like exactly. it was like, yeah, uh, you know, if I got a penny for every time anyone said don't give them ideas, you know, I, you know, it's it's insane. Every, you get the same comments over and over. So right, right. it got a lot of love. It got a lot of hate, uh, but overall, it it kind of. It was it was a shift of how I can um, introduce my product because now I was just rebranding a let, let's say rebranding the Lakers and I would just show their the new logo on my templates so I would show it on a jersey on a football right. uh, on a basketball on a court and you know it wasn't pushing you to buy anything it was just an entertaining piece and if you're a designer if you're in that if you're in that industry you might want to do your own research like let me let me just. Click, click on, on the website, on the link in bio, and see what this is all about, how I can just do this, kind of recreate what, what these guys are doing. And I feel this kind of like non-intrusive way of kind of promoting what you do uh, is, is, is actually doing a lot better than just posting ads because I'm just providing value and then, you know, it, pe- people might might convert, but at the same time, it's just a lot more fun doing this stuff because, yeah. you know, for me, like, I, I just... I look forward to the next one. People like comment, asking for different teams and different ideas. So it's a lot more fun and it's, it, it, it just works better with, with content marketing. So this is, this is an advice I would give to anyone trying to kind of like, you know, if you're afraid of TikTok, just go on it. Last year I was just like, this is something for kids. This too stupid for me. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's a lot bigger than when you think, you know, all of the, all of these big uh, brands are going on it. And they're all, one thing I noticed is like big brands are acting like they're like individuals. They're not, they, they don't even like use 
we and us, you know, they just use like, look what I did today. You know, like yeah. you would get like, I don't know, Dunkin' Donuts talking about like, oh, look what I did today. They just, so we're already at that position where we're just like, a, you know, one man business or like a small business where you can really talk for your brand. So it's, it's, it's really made for you. And like all brands are trying to kind of mimic uh, what, what, what us, you know, small creators are, are doing, you know, these days. So. Yeah, no, that's an interesting, uh, interesting perspective. I, I still have not. Well, I, I won't say that I haven't joined TikTok. I do have my usernames there. I don't have the app on my phone. I'm, I'm one of the old guys. It's like I don't know, man. I don't, I don't think I can. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I can jump into that yet. But I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, I didn't think I would also be turned into one of those old guys either that wouldn't jump into new. New technology as soon as it as soon as it showed up. So maybe I need to uh, shift my mindset. TikTok, yeah, TikTok is not just kids dancing. It's a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and the, the crazy thing is, is most of that stuff makes its way over to Instagram anyway, right? I mean, House of Highlights and like all these accounts already repost like half the things that show up on TikTok um, as is. But um, just to kind of add on that, I kind of took my uh, TikTok videos and reposted on my Instagram Reels. Since uh, March, I grew from fifteen thousand followers to forty-five thousand. Wow! I've you know I, I've grown three four you know two times. I don't know how much, but it just whatever I did in five years, I did double that in like five months. Wow! Just because I did that content marketing. Yeah, and you're using yeah. something that they is a new is a new product within their app that they want to. It always seems like if they launch if they if they put something in there that's new. The people that use it get like um, rewarded, right, from like the Absolutely. algorithm or whatever, which is which is cool. Um, so let's talk about like uh, you mentioned earlier how you got essentially had an op- a, a potential opportunity to work for Apple or whatever, and and you had these big dreams maybe early on of working for these big companies and you and I were kind of discussing this before the call like how big companies are full of bureaucracy and there's internal politics and and trying to trying to push things through that that maybe um are a little tougher and and it's kind of like a um um I'm not sure exactly how to put it like it it, it feels more appealing on the outside than it actually maybe is especially for people that <laughs> are is. wired a certain way um so talk about that a little bit. I mean, you you obviously didn't do that and you've built a very small business, but that business like employs your family members and your friends and and do you do you feel as if cuz I know one thing for me sometimes when you're an independent or when you're doing kind of like this small creative type work, sometimes it feels weird to not kind of have this flag to fly so to speak where it's like I'm a part of this. I am, you know, you know, I, I am a part of Nike, a 2000 or, or maybe even more employee company. And, and I'm a part of that brand. It's a part of me and these types of things. You don't, you, you kind of miss out on that when you do your own thing. Um, so I'm curious, like if you have any thoughts or perspective on that, um, and, and can share that with us. Sure. So when I moved to Romania, like my, my, my biggest dream was actually working for one of those big companies. I, you know, I wanted to work for Nike, uh, for, for Apple, for, for Google, for, for one of those big companies and just be like uh, do, doing graphics and, and all sorts of creative projects for them. Because this is kind of was like what, what was, what was kind of like everyone else is saying, you know, whenever you talk to another designer, like this is the, the end goal. They want to work for Facebook. They want to work for Amazon you know, all, all these big companies, I want to be part of it. And to me, it was just, 
because I had this handicap of being a refugee, it kind of stopped me from like leaving Romania because, you know, it, it's, I don't have a passport in it uh, and I can't work anywhere else. So it kind of stopped me and forced me to, to focus on my own thing because that was the only option I have. Mm-hmm. So it might sound like, you know, I, I was too smart to kind of like skip the, the corporate world and just do my own thing. It wasn't that I was just forced into it. And, you know, in retrospect, it, 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 it does seem like the better option, at least for me. But yeah, uh, the, the thing is like working on your own business, uh, it's, it's just, it gives you a lot more freedom and you don't have to deal with all that. You know, a lot of people are proving what you need to do. If, if, if you want to jump on a, uh, if you want to jump on a trend or anything, by the time you get all the approvals, it's already passed. And, you know, like you lose all that passion and all that uh, uh, drive if you have to kind of like creating and, and being, being part of what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, so, a lot of things example, that don't even see the, you know, there's a lot of things that go through these processes and they, they end up not even coming out into the world at all, right? Like they just kind of get lost in like this massive corporate kind of wasteland, so to speak. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So like, you know, even, even sports simplest and being my, being my own project and how much I love what I do with it, you, 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 you know, uh, repetition and routine kind of seeps into anything you do for, for a long period of time. So like recently I got uh, uh, someone reach out to me to do an NFT project. And, you know, even when he reached out to me, I wasn't like even sure about like, what is this people selling JPEGs for like hundreds of thousands of dollars? (laughs) Like it makes sense, you know? But then I saw all these teams and all these big brands, you know, like doing their own NFTs. And it's just, a, you know, it's basically a digital version of a collectible. Right. It's right. the same way people, people value their signed jersey. You know, if, if, if you get a LeBron James signed jersey, everyone's going to like see the value in that. But at the same time, if LeBron, you know, releases his own NFTs, it is still coming from the same guy. It's still authenticated. And it's something that's digital. You can show you know, maybe in the future as your Twitter, uh, Twitter, um, image, for example. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a strong believer in NFTs and, and, uh, blockchain. A lot of people hate on it, but in my opinion, it's one of those things where look, people are the ones that assign value to things, right? So like the, the Mona Lisa is only worth something because a bunch of people assign value to it. Right. Um, uh, or, uh, you know, for example, currencies. I mean, a group of people, a government, a municipality, something like that has gotten together and said, we're going to assign value to this thing <laughs> and people are going to agree on what the value of this thing is. And I feel like NFTs have reached the point where enough people in the digital world, in the metaverse, so to speak, are assigning value to these things to where you can't, these people that are like, oh, these things are worthless and all these things, like the it's completely baseless now to say that right? Because clearly people do put value in these things if they're spending millions of, you know, US dollars on, on something, on a, on a JPEG or like an eight bit, you know, little, uh, little, an, uh, animation, but you know, I'm, I'm actually working on something in that, in that space as well with a, a buddy of mine, uh, from the Taurus who, uh, people will be familiar with, uh, which, which we hope to launch at some point in the, uh, in the near future. I saw you got makersofsports.eth. So I see you're you're under that. (laughs) Yes, I'm all in, man. I got that, you know, like um, I actually have, uh, I actually have quite a few crypto domains. I have sportscollectibles.eth. I'm thinking about maybe selling that one. I don't know. We'll see. That one seems like it could, uh, it could do pretty well. (laughs) 
if I put I'm that up for sure. sale somewhere. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it would. The thing is, like, you know, with, with, with new technologies like this, it's better to kind of stop and learn and try to be part of it rather than just fight it because you don't understand it, you know? Because I, I was kind of like, you know, things like, what is this? You know, it doesn't make sense. Let me just stay away from it. And then, like, what once it becomes this 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 mainstream thing is like, oh, wow, I wish I kind of got into it two years ago. Yeah. I think pushing yourself uh, a little out of your comfort zone in learning these new things is very valuable, especially for me, I find as I get older, um, you know, I'm, I'm 38 years old and they say that like, I think I've read like your brain starts to deteriorate, deteriorate it like, you know, around this age maybe, or maybe forward, maybe it's 40. Um, and and you kind of see how people are like, I don't want to learn new things. I've already learned everything I can. I just kind of want to like exist, you know? And like, <laughs> um, but, but I really want to challenge myself and it, I'm not going to lie. Like it's hard. It's a lot harder for me sometimes, especially at this point in my, my life, because I've got these kids running around, you know, I'm not getting much sleep. They're getting up. We're going to soccer practices. We're doing all these things. I'm trying to run the side project. I'm doing client work. You know, I'm working for a big brand. Um, it's, it's tough. You know, and and I, and I think it's something that you have to kind of like continuously push through and be a lifelong learner. I feel like you, I feel like you, you started that journey in a very contentious situation and have continued to do that. So you know, kudos on you, man. To you gotta you gotta keep uh, keep at it. You know, for the for the rest of your your days here. Thanks, man. Well, the thing is, I I don't even do as much work as I used to do before. You know, like the the the, the older I kind of got, the less work I I got to do because I just learned how important it is to delegate. You yeah. know, and right. the thing is, like, just because you know how to do something, it doesn't mean that you have to do it. There's, you know, I can do my own 3D modeling, but I just decided that I need to hire someone to do it because it's just something that I don't need to worry about. And I can probably like focus on the bigger picture. That is actually something that I have struggled with um, my entire life is that I always kind of had this mentality, like I need to create it, right? I need to create it. If I'm doing a website, I need to do the cust. I need to do custom icons, you know? And, and (laughs) I think that it's just at this point, it's not sustainable. There's just so many assets out there that you can, purchase or integrate into your thing. And if you think about like programmers and developers, they're always using constant frameworks and they're not handwriting like every single piece of code to create these apps. And, or, or even just like some of these big motion animation companies and, you know, they're, they're using plugins and and those types of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, this is the thing kind of like trying to find, uh, You know, in a way, I look at it as like I gave up 3D modeling so I can learn more about crypto and NFT so I can focus on this. So instead of putting my time into something I've already kind of like mastered and know how to do, it's time to kind of give up on that and just try to learn something else where where I see the future is going to be. Well, I think it's very interesting that you're able to do that. Um, I know for me, I kind of have this fear of leaving something behind. So so, and it's kind of why one becomes essentially a, a, you know, sometimes I consider myself a jack of all tra- uh, many trades and not necessarily a master of any or, or being known for any one thing, right? Like, I think people can look at you and be like, yeah, that's the 3D guy, right? You can look at like Joe mm-hmm. Bosack and be like, that's the identity guy. You can look at like Frazier Davidson and be like, that's the animation guy. For me, I just do everything. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and and it's it's certainly helpful for a client or whoever that comes along and is like, yeah, like we need someone to do this. Oh, I can handle that for you. And then you just kind of do everything. But it's it's hard to build a brand um, 
doing that, right? Um, so, so I think it's tough. And for me, like, I guess in my head, sometimes I'm like, oh, if I do too much UX UI work, will I be will I be pigeonholed and branded now as a product designer? And I won't get any graphic design work, right? And that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, I think you're in a really interesting position because I was doing the same thing as well. You know, I was doing all kinds of stuff, and it kind of like helped me do this product because, for example, like. I learned 3D, but there was no on there was no tutorials on how to do lighting in 3D, for example. But at the time, I was trying to be a photographer as well. So I remember watching these photography tutorials on how to set up like a like a studio lighting and you know the fill light and key light and all this stuff. And I tried to recreate that in 3D, and it got really you know similar re, uh, results to what you get in real life. And so you know, th- thinking that like you're kind of learning all these things at a time you're gonna they're gonna come in handy you know just knowing these these extra you know how to do ux or web design or, or logo design you know like i did uh you know i did sports standards but i did my own logo for example at the start i i kind of did my own icons like you mentioned so i, I did my own web design so i used my skills to kind of help me get, get started so you know, if, if, if you have a plan to start a start a product in the future, it's, it's just going to be a lot easier for you, at least for to get started, because you know how to navigate all these different uh, uh, domains and in, in how, how to do this kind of like create these assets and these designs. Right, right. Well, let's let's um, you know, it's been an incredible conversation. And honestly, it's been great to get to know you over the years. We've we've kind of stayed in touch through DMs and um, through Slack and excuse me, um, many other methods of communication. Um, I'm, I'm very happy to have you come on the podcast and tell your story. I think it's very inspiring. Um, I think I think it, it can be inspiring for just about anyone, whether someone is growing up in a similar situation as you, or maybe they're growing up in a place where I came from, which is like the mountains of Eastern Kentucky, right? So um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting how um, people can find ways to align on various things. But I do want to kind of end with something fun. Um, you have this passion for comedy. Uh, we discussed that at one point in time. Um, the last yeah. time we spoke on the phone, uh, I think comedy is a very interesting thing. Uh, it's, it's, you know, if you think about someone like Robin Williams, how um, it's a very creative discipline as well, right? And and if you think about someone like Robin Williams, who they make uh, they make people laugh, but internally maybe they're sad or whatever, right? And so it, it's it's just a very intriguing industry where does your love of comedy come from like how do you how did you discover comedy who are some of your favorite comedians like what's what's the whole comedy ordeal with with your uh <laughs> absolutely your <laughs> well it, it all started in the 90s it was you know uh my uncle showed me this you know new movie that came out it was dumb and number i know it's <laughs> really <laughs> yeah uh, you know the kind of sort of kind of choice of uh, of movies and uh I kind of got me, got me to introduced to, you know, comedy in movies. And after that, I, I, I just loved everything Jim Carrey did. Yeah. And I watched this movie, this other movie he did, it's called Me, Myself, and Irene. And in one of the, in one of the scenes, uh, he would be like with his kids and they would be watching TV. And then uh, um, Chris Rock would come on TV and he was just doing like stand-up. And it was the first time in my life seeing stand-up. I didn't know what that is. Yeah, and it just—I just love that he's like, oh, people just get to go on stage and talk. Like, they don't have to sing yeah. or do like an act or anything. You know, it's a very weird they thing. Just, now that I think about it, it is like for me. It's just like so. This guy is just like talking. Everyone is like sitting, waiting for him to tell him stories. You know, 
and it was just, I, I was hooked and I started looking, looking into it. I think it took me like a month to figure out that, oh, this is called stand-up comedy. I didn't even know what, it, what it's called. Right. Like, what is this thing when people go and talk in front of people? And uh, actually, it really like, comedy really helped me stay sane because I would be working um, like, you know, when the war started. And I, I, I'm kind of like a really introverted guy. So I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't have a lot of people to kind of bounce ideas off. So I would just, you know, you know, like Bill Burr, he, he had yeah. this, uh, you know, Monday morning podcast. Mm-hmm. So I would wait for every Monday and I would just like listen to him just talking about random stuff about what was happening in the U.S. Like, you know, I, I think it kind of helped me like, no, he, he's a big sports fan. Mm-hmm. You know, he's from Boston. So all he's, right. he's a fan of all, you know, all Boston teams. And he would always talk about this. He kind of like, kind of kept me in the loop. And I felt like he's like this kind of friend that's kind of like keeping me updated on what's going on. And like yeah, giving yeah. me his, his, his point of, of what's happening. And from him, I kind of like uh, got into a lot of other comedians and like podcasts and stuff. And this, this is something I still do till now. I would just, you know, play a podcast in the background and just work and time doesn't seem to bother me you know like when, when you have interesting conversations happening in the background it's just a lot easier to do work yeah and to kind of like at the same time feel like you're 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 learning about what's happening and uh it's it's just uh but with, with, with comedy it's just something that's i've, I've always loved and always will yeah you know if, if i if i think if, if i wasn't uh if i wasn't a designer, I would have probably wanted to be a comedian. I just don't think I have the skills <laughs> to do it. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's incredibly hard, especially with, with my like fear, fear of public speaking. So I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can't even imagine. I actually, it would be, it's probably weird to hear this, but I, I also am not a fan of public speaking, even though I have a podcast. <laughs> um, I kind of, I kind of did this in a way to, um, help myself get over speaking and having, you know, speaking with strangers about, things, you know, careers and, and, and things like that. And, and sometimes pretty intimate conversations, right? I mean, we, we've obviously yeah. gone down into some things into your personal life. And, and sometimes I share things about my own personal life. Um, but there's, I do have to say there is this one, um, and we can, we can kind of move on after this, but there is this one, <laughs> there's this one bit that, did you hear the Bill Burr bit, uh, like kind of trashing like on sneakerheads? Had you heard that one? I'm not, I'm, I don't remember it. He's just like, he's Would just you? kind of like making fun of sneakerheads and like, oh, you know, this guy's got like the Jordan whatevers and like, oh, and he's, and he's just kind of like, what is this, the first day of school? Like, <laughs> it's grown, it's grown, <laughs> you know, it's a grown, you know, 40 year old man talking about his Jordan. It's like, is this the first day of school, man? Like, why are you so like, <laughs> I don't, but it's, it's funny. I'm obviously not doing it any justice, but if people want to see that, they can go YouTube that one. I'm not going to share that one in the show. But listen, man, Ali, it's been absolutely great. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm, I'm so glad we we're finally able to do this. So why don't you uh, leave listeners with whichever social media handles and, and web, uh, web addresses and those types of things that you would like people to find your products and, and if they want to connect with you through social, reach out on. Sure. So you, you can find me at Sports Templates on Instagram, TikTok, uh, uh, Twitter. And also I do have a YouTube channel where I just do tutorials on how I do these templates. So, you know, if you buy a template, you can just go see step-by-step how you can use it and create your own mock-ups. Um, also, my uh, my personal is Ali. Uh, um, I actually don't know, don't know what my user, my personal user is. Uh, but you can just look Ali Rahmon, A-L-I-R-A-H-M-O-U-N on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, isn't it Salt Shake any- or something? 
It used to be Salt Shaker. I just moved on from that. Oh, it's just, okay. you know, it's something I kind of picked up when I was like, you know, 14 or something. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's kind of, it's time to give it, to give up this. Yeah, I always wondered name. what that, yeah, I always wondered what that was, that was about. So that's just one yeah. of your like random anonymous usernames from back in the day that we all have, exactly. you know. Exactly. Well, uh, I'm, I'm just super blessed to be on this uh, podcast. Thank you so much, Adam, for, for having me. It was like a, a it was just a dream come true coming on this podcast and uh, thank you so much for everything. And I'm sorry if I was like a little bit too nervous throughout this uh, podcast. It's just uh, amazing that I got to do this. Man, you're too kind. I think this is a, a, a great thing. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed to meet you and, and kind of understand your story some. So definitely want to stay in touch and wish you nothing but success. I will always be an avid promoter of sports templates as I have been. So um, thanks a lot, man, for coming aboard. Thanks for having me, Matt. Thank you. Thanks again, Allie, for coming aboard. I also want to extend a heartfelt apology to Allie. I actually recorded this episode over a year ago. We met, I was really busy at the time and sort of burnt out on the podcast and didn't really get a chance to release this thing. Uh, Allie has an incredible story. I did want to get this out into the world so that you guys could hear his story because I think it's absolutely amazing. Uh, with that being said, this will actually be the last episode uh, indefinitely of Makers of Sport podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure doing this show. I've had a great time doing this show and meeting people, talking to everyone on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and the like, building a, an amazing network of people, met some absolutely fantastic friends that will will probably be lifelong friends, um, Ali in, included in that. I want to say thank you to everyone that has supported the show for all of these years. Uh, thank you for following me. Thank you for writing reviews. Thank you for being a listener and taking your time to listen to my voice and, and allowing me to bring some amazing people to you as an audience. I will still be around. I plan to keep tweeting and keep using Instagram and things like that. I'm trying to sort of figure out the next evolution of Makers of Sport. I'm not sure exactly what that will be. Maybe it's a blog. Maybe it's just a website. Uh, maybe it's just a personal studio where I'm just creating my own artwork. I'm not entirely sure what that will be, but I don't plan on going anywhere, at least f from the, uh, as far as the internet is concerned, uh, on my social handles, which you can obviously find at Makers of Sport. Uh, mostly active on Twitter. And then my personal handle is at T Adam Martin. For past episodes, you can go to makersofsport.com slash iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify, or the website makersofsport.com. Again, massive, massive thank you to everyone that has supported the show for this long. I want you to all go check out Ali's content. As he mentioned, you can find him on Instagram and Twitter at Sports Template and his products can be found at sportstemplates.com. With this being the holiday season, I think he's actually running a couple of deals. So I highly encourage uh, you all to go and support him. And he has a great story. And yeah, let's, let's keep him going. Once again, massive, massive thank you to Ali. And I wish him well on his own journey with Sports Template. And each and every single one of you, I wish you well on your careers and your personal journeys in growing your creative business or your creative life in general. With that said, I've been at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. The show has been Makers of Sport. Until next time, whenever that might be, have a good week. <laughs>